And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Lord have mercy, was it hot this weekend? We were we were moving this weekend, so this you know we we've talked about before here on the show is that um, you know with housing prices kind of where they are, um, pricing is kind of getting stupid on housing, and so my wife and I decided to sell our house that we bought about three years ago, and we've bought or we've rented the house that we're moving into, and so this weekend was the move, and it was terribly hot. <laughs> I mean. It was, I mean, sweat pouring out everywhere. It's exhausting. Anyway, and uh, so we got the move done, and this is the second, my wife's about to divorce me because this is the second time we've done this, is I sold my house back in two, early 2008, just before the housing crash. And then we bought a house right in the middle of the housing crash. And so every time prices go up for the house, I'm like, it's up for sale. <laughs> And so this is probably the last one I'm going to get away with. So it's the last one you'll survive. <laughs> it's exactly the point. Anyway, so but uh, it was very hot this weekend, nonetheless. Um, it's also the the first day of August, which also tends to be a little bit weaker month of the year. And after July, July was one as the strongest month for the market since 2020. Pretty amazing rally for the month of July. Very much needed. We've talked about this for a while as the market had gotten very oversold, extremely negative sentiment. And what we needed was is for, you know, CNBC to get all bullish again. We needed Jim Cramer to come out and say, you know, time to buy stocks. And, and actually that happened on Friday, uh, actually Thursday of last week, Jim Cramer came out and said, there's a very small window of opportunity. You need to jump through it. That's the kind of information we need to have here because, again, what we need is to get some of this bearish sentiment out of the markets, right? It's, it's kind of a, a contrarian indication. When everybody's bearish, markets tend to stop going down, and that's exactly kind of where we were. Very negative sentiment here. And uh, we talked about this on the show several times. In the month of May and June, we were saying, hey, look, we're due for a counter trend rally just function time until we get there. And that rally actually started to build here back about mid-June. We started kind of building this base of, of prices. Market really kind of began to solidify a bit here. And since then, we've had a very nice rally, uh, kind of the stair stat pattern moving higher. A rally, a pullback to support, a rally, a pullback to support, a rally here. Now back to pretty extended levels. We're pushing up towards that uh, two standard deviation level above the 50-day moving average. We haven't seen that in a while. Uh, in fact, the last time we saw that was back in March, just to show you how long it's been since we've had a real rally. So markets rallying very nicely here, but getting a little bit overbought. Most of our uh, overbought, oversold indicators are really starting to push up to more extreme levels. Again, doesn't mean anything other than likely we've already milked a lot out of this rally that we're going to get for right now. That doesn't mean we're about to have another leg down in the bear market either. Okay, so just want to be clear about this is that we've had a nice rally here. That's great. Markets are getting a little bit extended here. Lots of people kind of getting back on the bullish camp. But that's good, right? Bullish sentiment coming up and that's helping lift prices. Again, I think we could get a little bit more here, um, you know, first. But again, a bit of a pullback towards that 50-day moving average, finding some support there, 
holding that level and then turning back up again would certainly help give this market some more room to run as we move later in the year. So the month of August, as I was saying, though, tends to be one of the, the weaker months of the year. August, September tend to be weaker seasonally speaking. We're also heading into midterm elections. So markets are always a little bit unsure heading into elections, right? Uh, you know, what's going to happen between Senate control and House control? Right now, betting odds are about 50-50 that Democrats can hold on to the, the Senate. Um, in the House, uh, there's a very large, if you go look at some of the betting odds on, on these Senate races and House races, uh, for the House, there's a very clear win trajectory right now for Republicans. It looks like they're going to basically get kind of sweep the midterms here and take very strong control of the House. Well, markets tend not to really like going into elections, people kind of, because you don't know what's going to come out of them, right? You really don't know who's going to win this. What is that going to mean for, for fiscal policy, right? What's that going to mean for, um, you know, build back better? What's that going to mean for more money into the economy? What's, you know, what's that, what's that going to mean for new regulations? Are we going to get more restrictive regulations? Those type of things. So markets have a real tough time going into elections. Now, as soon as the election happens, markets very quickly adopt for, you know, whatever they think new policy is going to be. And, and you typically get a correction. That's why, so that's why historically, particularly in midterm election years, markets tend to be a little bit weaker in August and September. So again, don't be surprised here after this rally that we get a bit of a pullback um, and, and a little bit of just kind of a cooling off. Again, just a very, very sharp rally. Typically, August turns out about a negative half percent growth rate. So it's not terrible. It's not like markets always fall apart in August. Um, but again, a bit of a pullback here certainly wouldn't be surprising here. Now, as we start talking about this, of course, there's a couple of other factors that, you know, just outside of normal market action, there's a couple other factors, obviously, that's going on. The Federal Reserve is one of those. Uh, just hiking uh, rates by 75 basis points at the last meeting. Uh, that, of course, uh, markets really took in stride because markets really expected that 75 basis point hike. Now, what they're expecting for September, which is the next meeting, is a half point hike. However, the inflation issue is still at hand. And, if, and, and the Federal Reserve's favorite measure of inflation just saw the biggest jump in like 40 years. It was almost a 7% increase in one month. So again, that measure of inflation certainly weighing on their views over the weekend. A couple of Fed speakers, Neil Kashkari being one of them, came out and said, hey, we're not even worried about the economy. If the economy's been in recession, so what? We're focused on inflation right now. And, of course, that's the real concern here for markets is that tighter monetary policy, of course, is going to continue to tighten the economy, slow down economic growth. That's what higher rates do. Higher rates slow economic growth. Slower economic growth translates into what? Less inflation. So if the Fed's goal is to bring down inflation, they can't worry about a recession. So again, while August tends to be a little bit weaker and we tend to get a little bit better performance after that, there's still the risk out there of the Fed, of monetary policy, and of course, of a recession. Now, the White House has been kind of bending over backwards lately to make sure you understand that just because we've had two negative quarters in a row of, of economic growth, that doesn't necessarily mean we're in a recession. There's some truth to that, but the overall economic environment is beginning to weaken, and it's very likely that by the time the National Bureau of Economic Research dates a recession, it will likely be in 2022 
rather than previously thought it would be in 2023 because economic growth is slowing a lot faster. Now, the Atlanta Fed GDP report just came out. Their estimate just came out over the weekend, 2.1% for quarter three. But even if we get that rate of growth, we're still going to be running a near zero rate of growth for the year. But I suspect that by the time we get to the end of the quarter, that and that estimate by Atlanta Fed will have come down sharply as well. Uh, make sure you get by the website. Our new bull bear report is on the website. That's our new version of the newsletter. Investment focused, market centric. It's all there for you. A little bit more condensed. Lots of tables and charts to help you kind of analyze the markets, manage your money better. That's on the website now. Today, just click the newsletter link, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll come back from the break here in just a second. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning about markets, economics, all the stuff that's going on. And I got a really funny story for you from over the weekend. So <laughs> that's all coming up here on the show. Be right back. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.17 on this, uh, what day is this? Monday. Anyway, we were just, we were like, like I told you a second ago, we were just moving all weekend. It was a very, very long weekend. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure where I am it's right a blur. now. It wasn't. No, it seemed like it lasted forever. It was. It seemed oh, like the, the longest weekend ever because yeah. it was just one box after another. <laughs> and of course, my wife's like, uh, you know, can you get that box? Of course, it's the heaviest boxes. Of course, <laughs> of course. <I'm> like yes. <laughs> and everything that she wanted me to carry had to go upstairs. So. <laughs> Oh, you made that mistake again. Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's a two, it's a small, it's a, it's our, the, the, so the house we rented, it's about half the size of our other house. So uh -huh. we're trying to stuff, you know, a house worth of stuff into a much smaller house. And of course there was, there's a bunch of people very happy because we left a lot of stuff out for Goodwill. So there's going to be some very well-dressed people with very nice furnished houses, you know, yep. from Goodwill. So if you have to be at a local Goodwill in Arcady, there's a lot of my stuff there. <laughs> so, go get you some. Go get you some. So if, speaking of it, so anyway, talking about, you know, I was watching the headlines over the weekend. Of course, the White House, you know, trying to deny there's inflation. It's like inflation, no, it's, you know, it's trans, it's going away. Don't worry about inflation. It's fine. You know, inflation's really not all that high. You're just kind of imagining it. You know, it's, lots of excuses coming. Of course, not surprising coming into, um, you know, the midterm election. We're all trying to, you know, fight for positioning, right? So anyway, this weekend... We've been working all day. It was hot outside, and, and everybody's tired. And so I get my wife and, and the girls into the car, and we're going to get something to eat. 
And so as we're driving down the road, there's a, a guy on the side of the road and he's only got one arm and one leg and he's you know asking for some help. And my wife makes the comment. She goes, oh, that's just terrible. And from the back of the car, I hear gas prices. Let it sink in for a second. <laughs> it took Brent a second to catch on. Yeah, I know gas prices are high, but, you know. <laughs> so who made the remark? Uh, I, won't, I, won't, I won't mention names because <laughs> they're still young. They're underage. So we have to protect the identity of the stupid. <laughs> but I have to tell you. I'm going to go to hell because I laughed at the comment. <laughs> so is that seat? Now, now we're both going to hell because you laughed too. So, you know, there you go. Life with the Roberts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, gas prices are high. <laughs> I'm glad she's leaving town. <laughs> What was that so, one? It's that one. <laughs> the one that's actually paying for gas right now. So, yeah. <laughs> she's starting to figure it out pretty quick. She's like, she's, she's like I, was, I would come home and visit more often, but gas prices. <laughs> You're kind of okay with that. Yeah. So, it's, it's interesting, you know, because like, this is the one, right? This is, this is my one daughter. She's the one that's always roaming around the house going, I can't wait to be out of my own. I can't wait to be out of my own. And I'm like, I can't wait for you to be out on your own too. And now that she's out on her own and she's got, you know, she's and she's about to get another surprise because her phone plan's about to end here pretty quick and it's gonna revert to her. Um, you know, you know, she's having to figure out college is expensive, gotta pay for that, gotta pay for your car, gotta pay for insurance, you know, all this, you know, then you got food and you know, mm -hmm. all these other things you gotta pay for. And uh so this is being, out on, being out on your own is not as fun yeah. as when you get to live with somebody and they pay for everything. This is the Roberts edition of This Is Us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, you're more than welcome to be on your own. Glad to have it. <laughs> My life's getting a lot cheaper by the day. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, uh, Steve, is it Steve Harvey mm -hmm. uh, has a talk show, right? There was a, a game show and a game show, right? Yeah. He does he does yeah. a game show, but he also has a talk show. Yeah, and there was this. Uh, so he's taking Q and A from the audience, and this girl stands up. She goes, "I'm 22. Uh, I'm a college student. I'm 22 years old, and I'm and I need independence. My mother says as long as I'm living with her, I have to obey her rules, and I just think I should be able to have more independence and kind of do what I want." And Steve Harvey goes, "Do you pay the bills?" And she's like, she doesn't say anything. And he's like, the, the silence is deafening. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It says, until you start paying your way, you don't get independence. And, and so now my daughter and son, who, by the way, leaves for college today. Today's the first, right? Yeah. So he's mm -hmm. leaving today. Um, they're both about to experience what on your own really means. <laughs> You're off the payroll. Yeah. And... <laughs> I said that in front of my mother-in-law over the weekend. And she goes, you're making the kids pay for college? My, my wife goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to chime in. I was like, <laughs> it's like, I second the motion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, uh, all right, look, got to get to work here. Got, got lots of stuff going on. Um, new, uh, new spending bill. Of course, um, Republicans getting a lot of flack over the weekend. 
there was a new spending bill coming out uh, that was supposed, and this is this is the problem that, and we talk about this a lot with you know government, and you know as we talk about record debts and record deficits and and these type of things. Over the weekend, the Republicans shot down a a bill that was called the PACT Act, and it was to help veterans. And it would have expanded health care for veterans affected by burn pits. And, you know, this is, you know, important, you know, help that, that these veterans needed. And, of course, the Republicans, you know, shot this bill down. And immediately the, the, the media took off into lambasting the Republicans for being so cold-hearted and brutal for shooting down the PACT Act. The problem was is that, as is always the case with government legislation, there's all the other stuff that's crammed into a bill. You know, it's it, if we had a bill that was, okay, we're going to spend a billion dollars to provide health care support solely for, you know, burn victims. Great, right? There's no problem. With this. And see, back in, and, and if you don't understand how government used to work, <laughs> prior to World War I, every bill that if you wanted to spend money on pencils, right, you had to pass a spending bill for pencils, for that line item, right? And so everything in Congress prior to World War I had to be voted on on a per-item basis. So you had a bill covering one item, you voted on it, and that's what you spent the money on. And this is when we used to have budgets and actually, you know, fiscally managed our government and had no deficit at all to speak of. Well, when World War One came along, there were so many, so much spending that had to be done because of World War One. They started doing these bulk bills, right? They would pass a bill that had a whole bunch of items in it to get funding for the war effort. Well, of course, as is all things with government, what happens at that point is, is that once you start making these exceptions, well, you never go back, and it was easier to just vote on these big kind of block bills that covered a variety of spending, and so we just never went back. And, of course, as Congress has become much more corrupt over the years, uh, you know, this has now become just really kind of a way to shove spending through government without anybody hopefully noticing. And this is, this is the problem with having these bills that are 2,000 pages long. Nobody reads them. And so you don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, I used to come home from school and I'd have like a home, whole stack of homework and I'd cram my report card in the middle of it and hope that nobody would actually go through it, right? So it's like, oh, here's all my schoolwork and then nobody would actually look through it. Well, that's the way these bills are, right? We just kind of shove all the spending into it. Nobody really looks at it. They just go, they look at the headline, right? Packed Act, veterans, burn pit, victims, we need to help these guys, right? So, I mean, you know, hand to heart, you know, this is what we need to do. So because the headline sounds good, we vote on the whole bill. The problem was is this bill included $400 billion in totally unrelated spending. And, and so that's why the Republicans rejected it. They said, hey, look, if you want to vote on this health care bill for veterans, hey, all good. We'll do it. Well, then that was the original bill. And then when the bill actually got there to be voted on, there was an amendment shoving this extra $400 billion in unrelated spending into the bill. And that's why it was rejected. But this is, this is why, though, when we go back to the core foundation of, of economic growth and fiscal solvency uh, for the country. This is the problem, right? You know, 
it has now become commonplace. You know, when I was when Brent and I were growing up, we were talking about spending millions of dollars in government, right? There were, there were bills that were coming through for, you know, 10 million, 20 million, 40 million dollars. And that was a lot of money, right? A lot of money. And even in the 90s, we were still talking about millions of dollars. Now it got up into the hundreds of millions of dollars, but we were still talking about $100 million, $200 million in spending. Since the turn of the century, it has now become, and particularly since post-financial crisis, this is where it really went haywire. But post-financial crisis, we now throw around hundreds of billions of dollars like it's left pocket change. And a trillion dollars is like, it's just a trillion dollars. We only want to spend a trillion dollars on green energy, or we want to spend a trillion dollars on this. You know, our fiscal operating budget for the year is four and a half trillion dollars. Trillion. And see, the problem is, is by throwing around all these big numbers, billions and trillions, we just lose, you, you become desensitized to the fact of just how much money that is. You know, there was an old analogy that said, if you had spent a million dollars a day since Jesus walked the earth, you would still have not spent a trillion dollars. A million dollars a day. That's how big a trillion is. And so now we sit there and go, well, let's just slam $400 billion into this bill. Nobody will notice. And most of the times we don't. Because we don't read these bills until after the fact, then we find out. Oh, we, you know, we provided fifty billion dollars to some, you know, museum to rebuild a, a building. Right? It's billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, and then you wonder why we're running debt to GDP well in excess of hundred percent, and why we can't get economic growth above two percent long term. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com inflation touches every aspect of your life no one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation ria advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn thursday august 4th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com there's no magic elixir against inflation our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects register today at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Bizarre headline out this morning. New details released after co-pilot falls from plane, dies before emergency landing. I, yeah, I have a suspicion if you leave and if you exit the aircraft before long before, it's landed, long before yeah. it's landed yeah. right, that uh, it's probably going to be a, I'll just read to you, right? 
New details have come out about the hours leading up to the plane's emergency landing in North Carolina and the co-pilot's mysterious mid-flight exit and fatal fall. Yeah. Is it a military aircraft? No, no, no. It's civilian. Wow. Civilian aircraft. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. The, the plane initially had two people on board. First responders told uh, WNCN that one person on board the plane was taken to Duke Hospital with minor injuries. That's uh, minor injuries. The person who landed the, the plane, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shortly after the plane landed... Uh, local emergency units began searching for the co-pilot who either fell or fell or jumped from the plane without a parachute while it was in the air. Or was pushed. Well, they haven't gotten to that yeah, part yet. I'm just so saying. I'm just yeah, there's no details out right now, but I'm just Wow, what yeah. an argument that must have been. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I've had those with my wife before. Yeah. Out. <laughs> I'm not moving again. <laughs> exactly. But no, that, that's very bizarre. Wow. Right? Like I said, just a bizarre headline. Anyway, sorry, uh, I digressed. Stuff that catches your attention this early in the morning. Meanwhile, back in back the cockpit. Back in the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. Um, as we were talking about before, you know, we're, we're, you know, we've had a nice little rally here from the recent lows, which is, a, is kind of a good thing, right? And we've talked about here for a while, markets very oversold, people getting very pessimistic. And... You know, this has been, you know, one of the kind of conundrums for, for you know, being bearish, right, on the markets. And, and look, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be bearish on the markets. You've got inflation at the highest level in 40 years. You've got, um, you know, valuations are still high by virtually every measure. You've got the Federal Reserve tightening interest rates. You've got the Federal Reserve reducing monetary liquidity by tightening up the Fed balance sheet. We've got all these things. Right, that are going on. It's like those; those are clear arguments why you should not want to be invested in equities. But yet, as we've said, you know, people had gotten so bearish on the markets. Allocations were, you know, extremely low. Um, sentiment was extremely bearish, et cetera. I mean, just everything was about as negative as you could get in terms of various measures of the markets, and that typically tends to be a bullish sign. It was like, well. And, I know, and it seems very counterintuitive, right? It just, you know, like, well, why would there be, why would people want to buy anything here? And that's exactly right. I was, you know, when we're getting emails, you know, and, 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 you know, we have a group of clients that are our best contrarian indicators because <laughs> they're, they're always on the wrong side of the markets and they're always trying to tell us, you know, what to do. And they're like, get me out, get me in, get me out, always at the wrong time. And, you know, so they're great contrarian indicators because you know when you get that phone call from this particular client or you know this particular group of clients, and because there's more than one of them, um, you know it's almost a guarantee that we're at or near a bottom, at least short term. And so you had all these factors kind of piling up, and that tends to get you to the point to where you can have this illogical, clearly insane rebound in markets it can it can be very very strong and, and that's what we saw here over the last month is this very very strong counter trend rally that is exactly what you would kind of expect from that type of negative sentiment negative action in the markets now it doesn't really seem to make any sense why would markets rally when everything's so negative well that's exactly the way markets work markets tend to do exactly the opposite now Here's the question. Is the bear market bottom over, right? Is the, is the bear market bottom in and is the bear market over? Or 
is this just a stepping stone to the rest of the bear market? Now, that's the good question. And the true answer to that is, is that, honestly, we don't know. Nobody knows. Right? Nobody really knows the answer to this story. And we won't know. We're just going to have to kind of fill this out over time as we go and just kind of navigate the markets as it happens. But trying to make a prediction and say, yeah, bear market bottoms in, you need to be long socks. That's Jim Cramer on Friday. Right? That's a dangerous assessment given the things that we talked about earlier. Fed monetary tightening, inflation, slow economic growth, etc. And the reason that, that I bring that up is, is that we've seen these type of markets before. And I've been running this chart here now for the last several months, actually going back to late 2007 that compares the 2007-8 bear market to the current market action. And we published this in this weekend's newsletter. So if you haven't gone by our website yet, got the new bull bear report, it's out on the website now. Just click the newsletter link. If you're subscribed to um, the website, of course, uh, you automatically got this email over the weekend. So you already have it in your inbox. So you don't need to go subscribe again. Just open your inbox. But as you can see, back in 2008, post Bear Stearns, we had this, you know, this bear market decline going on in 2008. And then the market rallied. And Jim Cramer declared the bottom was in. And, you know, we had, you know, everybody getting ball bullish again. And markets rallied fairly strongly for a couple of months. Got everybody all bullish again. Ben Bernanke came out back then and said, subprime is contained. Don't worry about it. It's a Goldilocks economy. And then the rest of the bear market came roaring back to life. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. All I'm saying is, is that there's a very interesting analog that's going on. Look, I hate analogs for a whole variety of reasons. One, this time is different than last time. You know, markets are different. We don't have a subprime crisis. We've got other issues, right? Uh, There's certainly other issues that could lead to the same outcome, but the the environments are different. And and so as such, you know, these analogs can detach at some point, and then they're no longer valuable anymore. But the point is that you can have very vicious bull markets inside of a bear market. That's the important point. That's the lesson to take away. You know, but as and you know, and, and what's also interesting and something else that we covered in this newsletter was that it, it was interesting that during the 2020, you know, really, really going back to 2011, 12, but particularly 2020, 21. Uh, in particular, was don't fight the Fed. Whatever you do, don't fight the Fed. As long as the Fed's easing money and throwing money at the market and keeping zero interest rates, don't fight the Fed. Right? That was the story. And what's interesting is, is that if you take a look at the Fed's dot plot versus the market, the market's clearly fighting the Fed now. Because the Fed's still saying that they're going to continue to hike rates well into next year. And the market's already predicting they're going to be cutting rates much sooner than what the Fed is saying. Now, maybe that's the case. 
But my my point is is that all of a sudden the whole argument of not fighting the Fed is yeah, fight the Fed because they're wrong, and maybe that's true. But it's just interesting how the market kind of plays to whatever view that they want to have, right? Markets want to be bullish. Markets want prices to go up. It's good for the media. It's good for financial analysts. It's good for portfolio managers. It's good for clients. Good for individuals. Everybody wants the market. Nobody likes bear markets. I am sure Leon Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant didn't like getting mauled by a bear. Nobody likes bear markets for a whole variety of reasons. Everybody likes bull markets. But... You know, it is where we are. And it's just interesting that as we, we take a look at these various factors, you know, the, the market is, you know, being bullish at the moment. But again, that's not uncommon. And it was interesting because when I was talking about Jim Cramer last week, he made this statement. He said, when the Fed is becoming you know easing policy when the fed is reversing course do you have a small window of opportunity to jump into stocks and and when the fed pauses that's your signal now the fed hasn't paused yet right but the markets are anticipating now because the fed has now and this is why the market rallied last week after the the rate hike of 75 basis points solely because the fed said they're going to start taking things on a meeting by meeting basis which means that well, maybe they're getting comfortable where rates are and, you know, they're expecting inflation to come down. So they're just going to look at it meeting by meeting and they could pause at any moment. The problem is that's incorrect from Jim Cramer's view. He said when the Fed pauses, that's the time to buy stocks. That's actually incorrect. And as we showed in the newsletter this weekend, uh, again, at the website, is if you take a look at the Fed rates, when the Fed pivots, that's the point the Fed now realizes that the economy is heading into recession and that they can't hike rates anymore and they're going to have to start lowering rates. And that pivot tends to align with further declines in asset prices. Call me crazy, but I don't think we should be fighting the Fed. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Invest. Show.
Bank Show. Get ready to wrap it up for the day. It's Monday, of course, first day of August as we get things kind of kicked off. Uh, futures this morning, about flat. Recovering here a little bit this morning. Earnings, lots of earnings out today. Um, everybody from Aflac to uh, Activision Blizzard, Avis Budget Group, um, you know, just just a litany of, of companies out today. And again, we're just in the thick of earnings season right now. And, and by this time next week, um, we will have gotten through about 80% of the S&P 500 companies. Now, here, here's part of the other interesting part of this rally that we've had. The rally that we've had over the last month has been an interesting one from a standpoint, a couple of standpoints. One, as we said earlier, is that the rally wasn't surprising because we've been talking about needing a counter trend rally here for a while because, well, things had just gotten too bearish. And, you know, when things are so bearish that you've got consumer sentiment polls and investor sentiment polls at record lows, then it's not surprising that you get a counter trend rally. Right. Um, you know, when everybody gets on one side of the boat, it doesn't take much to pull people to the other side. Now, immediately we've had this rally in July and there's already a lot of bullish arguments out. Number of stocks above 20 day high per you know, pretends to huge returns in the future. Don't want to miss out. Jump in now. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of this rally was really around companies not reporting earnings as bad as expected. But earnings have declined. Profit margins have declined. We're seeing deterioration of the economic environment because of what's happening with inflation, consumer spending, etc. And, and again, there's a lot of bullish spin to a lot of this. Is like consumer spending was weaker than we've seen in quite some time, but it's not crashing. Well, it's not crashing yet. Right, because consumers are turning to credit cards. We're seeing a huge ramp up in credit card debt to to allow consumers to make ends meet. And consumers aren't buying more stuff. They're buying less stuff. They're just paying more for it. So when we see consumer spending numbers, those come in in dollar volume, right? How much money did you spend? It doesn't ask you how much you bought. Were you out buying, you know, Two washers instead of one? Were you out buying two cars instead of one? You know, No, you were just paying a lot more for food and a lot more for gas. You were still buying the same amount of stuff. You're just buying less quantity, right? You're spending more dollars for it. And, and, and so a lot of these spending numbers are a bit skewed right now because of, of what's happening with inflation. But, see, we haven't seen that in 40 years. So a lot of this economic data that we now track doesn't even go back that far. <laughs> in some cases. So again, we don't really know the extent of the damage being done to households just yet. It, it'll come. We'll figure it out. But I thought it was interesting because we have, you know, the economist telling us that everything's fine. Households have record savings. So they're fine. Don't worry about it. They've got record savings. Which I thought was interesting because there is the Secure Act 2.0 being worked, kind of working its way through Congress. And Secure Act 2.0 is to help people save more money, right? And they want people to have an emergency fund. 
And so they're kind of giving you two options is that you can contribute up to 3% of your salary to this emergency fund account that you can take out $1,000 every, you know, so often from it if you need it for an emergency. But the goal is to get people to actually have emergency savings. Why? Because they don't have any. Poll after poll after poll after poll shows that the average American has less than $500 in the banks to meet an emergency, etc. So even government has realized this problem, and they're trying to help people save more money by setting up these emergency accounts. The other worst proposal was to allow people to take $1,000 out of their 401k plan. Terrible idea that creates leakage in the plan. Right? Once you open that floodgate, people have no retirement savings whatsoever because they'll use it all. Everything's an emergency when you have access to capital. Oh, I need a new car. It's an emergency. I need a $1,000 down payment. Take it out of your 401k plan. Oh, I need $1,000 for a new shotgun. Take it out of your, you know, there's, there's, there's no definition of what emergency means, right? It's just an emergency, and now you can take it out, and people will withdraw all of their 401k plan doing that, particularly if you can do it penalty-free, tax-free. But the point is, is that despite these being very bad ideas, the reason to have them is because people don't have any emergency savings. Why? Because they can't save any money. And so when we go back and take a look at the economy and inflation and, and what's going on, you know, all these economic data points are telling us that there's issues. And the economy is slowing. So despite the fact we're having this really kind of nice rally in the market, there's still a lot of underlying economic deterioration. Amazon just cut 100,000 employees off their workforce. Now, that's not a hiring freeze. We've now moved from hiring freeze to layoffs. And that's 100,000 of them. And that's just Amazon. We haven't gotten to Walmart and Target and Microsoft and Apple and all these other companies, Google. Google just told their employees, you need, to be, you need to get your productivity up. Now, remember, Google is one of the leaders out there going, you know, at the time during the pandemic, oh, we need to be more lenient on employees, let them work from home, let them do this, let them do that, have unlimited time off, you know, whatever they wanted, right? Just make employees happy. That's what we want. And it was all fine and dandy there for a while because – Stock prices were going up. As long as the company's stock price were going up, Google didn't really care too much. Now, all of a sudden, they care. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, um, you need to get back to work. Not surprising. But these are, the, these are the, you know, kind of the points is that we haven't gotten, you know, into the bear market yet. And, and how long can we continue to run stock prices up on the fact that, well, earnings weren't as bad as expected? What are you going to do next quarter? Earnings weren't as bad as expected again, and you keep bidding up the stock price? I mean, at what point can you keep bidding up stock prices on, well, earnings weren't as bad as expected? They didn't go down as much. You know, Netflix only lost, you know, a million subscribers again. We thought they were going to lose two, two million again, right? They only lost a million. You're still getting economic deterioration in these companies' income and balance sheets, and yet we're running up to stock prices because, well, the deterioration wasn't as bad as, as we thought, right? I'm going to increase the price of my house because, you know, the, the foundation was only cracked and falling apart in six places. It wasn't completely destroyed, right? You know, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense long term. It's, at some point, you've got to deal with the reality of what's happening with economics, what's happening with incomes and revenues and, and health care costs and, and employee costs and labor costs, which are surging, by the way. And the question is, is how long can companies keep passing that on 
those higher costs on to consumers? And that question is probably not much longer. And the reason you know that is, is that now they've gone, when, when companies start laying off employees, that means they've already passed on as much of that cost as they can. I've passed on a lot of those costs, but to protect my profit margins, I've got to get rid of one of my highest cost centers, which is what? Labor. And that's coming. So again, you know, we have to take, so, you know, when you're looking at your portfolio, looking at your investments, looking at how much allocation you have, you know, to risk, understand that, yeah, we're having a very nice rally now. And while Jim Cramer is saying, hey, you know, it's time to jump in. The Fed's about to pause. And when the Fed pauses, for sure, you got to jump in, even though it's going to be right as you head into a recession. You know, these are the risks that you need to sort out. Set aside the kind of the mainstream analysis and, and look at the statistics, look at the facts, look at the technicals, and just understand where we are. And again, but but don't be uber bearish either, right? There's still too many people going, well, I just don't want to be in investments at all because, you know, the world's going to end. No, it's not. The dollar's not going to zero. We're not going to go bankrupt as a company, country today. Today, we're not. You know, we're not going to have a massive food famine People aren't going to be dying out in the middle of the street because of climate change. Those things aren't going to happen today. They're not going to happen today. They're not going to happen this month. They're not going to happen next month. You know, the dollar's not going to lose its reserve currency status tomorrow. Now, are all these things possible? Could an asteroid fly into the Earth and destroy the Earth in a, in, a, in a disaster? Yes, absolutely. Any of those things are possible, right? We could lose the reserve currency status someday. It's not going to be tomorrow. And the problem is, is by betting on these massive kind of end-of-the-world, non-recoverable events, you miss out on the opportunity to make money. And a lot of these events, look, they've been talking about climate change was going to end the world since 1950. So if you were investing in 1950 and said, well, I, you know, climate change is going to destroy the world. I'm not going to invest in the markets. How much money, if you were still alive today, 70 years later, <laughs> how much money did you miss out betting on an end of the world event that never came true? Doesn't say it won't happen someday. I doubt it's 2030. I doubt it's 2050, but sure, it could eventually happen. I'm not denying that fact at all. But from an investment standpoint, you can't bet on end-of-the-world outcomes today because you're going to lose way too much money by not being invested. And that's really the more important lesson here. Anyway, wrap up the show for the day. Be back tomorrow, of course, for Tuesday. We'll see how the markets rally today, what they do. We'll evaluate it for you tomorrow. Get by the website. Our latest newsletter out. It's the new Bull Bear Report. Market-centric, market-focused, stock screens for you. A lot of stuff there for you. Let us know what you think about it. Send us uh, anything you think we missed. We'll add that in for you. Um, that's at the website now. Click the newsletter link, and we'll see you back here tomorrow on The Real Investment Show. It's a rich man's world.